Good morning. If you'd like to follow today's reading, there is a blue Bible in front of you, and you'll find the passage on page 969, and it's headed in bold type, The Fulfillment of the Law. That's page 969. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law, until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, hands up if you have ever watched a film or a television program in 3D. Who's, who's done that? Let's, let's put our hands up. Quick poll around the church today. Who's, see, uh, maybe, maybe about half of us or so, okay. They used to be all the rage, didn't they? Uh, they seem to be falling slightly out of favour now. Uh, When we were about to get a new television 10 years or so ago now, we end up getting a 3D one. Uh, Not that we particularly wanted one, uh, but we were told at the time uh, that the refresh rate of this television uh, was better if you wanted to watch sport in high high definition, HD. So that was what kind of suckered me in. We got one, and uh, yes, it improved the quality. Um, at the time, I'd, I'd seen a few 3D films in the cinema, and I wasn't really that impressed uh, by them. I don't know what you, you've made of them. But I do remember watching the first 3D Blu-ray that came free with the package. It was Spider-Man. And I do remember being really impressed. I, I mean, <laughs> right from the off, the menu screen was incredible, the way you put on these 3D glasses and you were um, immersed in what was going on. So since then, our 3D library has grown. Marvel, Star Wars, Hobbit, Lion King, to name but a few. Anyway, you're wondering what the point of all this is, aren't you? (laughs) My point in mentioning this, aside from offering you the the chance to borrow a film from the Teasdale uh, Blu-ray library, um, is that if you've ever watched a film in 3D and you've got a little bit bored or a little bit curious and you've removed those glasses you'll know how odd that experience is, how disorientating it is, how fuzzy it is, and and frankly, sometimes a little nauseating as well. Without the glasses, although you kind of know what's going on, everything isn't quite right. It doesn't quite stack up. It's fuzzy. You miss an important detail, and and it actually hurts your eyes. But with the glasses on... Everything's clear. Everything makes sense. And you are more fully immersed into the experience. 
Well, this week, after our Christmas break, we're back in our series working through uh, Matthew's account of the king and the kingdom. And if you remember back to last year, we'd got to that place where the king, Jesus, is on a hillside. Uh, He's speaking to his disciples, but the crowd that have gathered around are listening in. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we're only just getting started in that sermon. It goes all the way through from chapter 5 through to chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel. And we're going to be looking at it in more detail in the coming weeks. And these four verses today are crucial for us. They are, if you like, a pair of 3D glasses that we need to put on to see what Jesus is going to tell us about the nature of his law in his kingdom. Of course, putting a pair of three, putting on a pair of 3D glasses, that's quite an easy thing to do. We put them on. Uh, these verses, on the other hand, uh, are not the most straightforward to understand. So we need God's help. Um, uh, but also we need God's help because if we can understand what's going on here, it's going to pay dividends for the coming weeks and set us up well for it. So let's pray and ask for the Father's help now. Heavenly Father, please would you show us today uh, what King Jesus is teaching and help us to not just understand this teaching, but to apply our lives to it. Amen. Okay, our first heading then. The king's law is something radically new. It's something radically new. Please reopen your Bibles, uh, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 5 and take a look at verse 17. So that's page 969 in those blue Bibles in front of you. Matthew 5 and then verse 17. It says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. All the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Right from the off, understanding this is tricky, because Jesus defines what is new, not by stating it in the positive, but by actually putting it in the negative. Twice he says, I've not come to abolish the law. Which immediately makes us think, doesn't it? Well, surely then the old law still applies. Surely those Old Testament laws about how we relate to God, how we behave, what we should eat, and so on, and so on. Surely surely those things are are still valid, right? And, And then we read verse 18. And we're even more convinced. So take a look. Verse 18. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear... Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And so we can be tempted to think there's nothing new here. Jesus is simply stressing that nothing has changed. The old law still applies. The problem with that way of thinking is twofold. First, it ignores the obvious change that Jesus is going to preach time and time again in his most famous sermon. 
You have heard that it was said, dot, dot, dot. But I tell you, dot, dot, dot. That's the first problem. The second problem with thinking that nothing has changed is that it misses the stunning claim of verse 17. It's the claim of something radically new. Jesus says he is the fulfillment of all that has come before. That is some claim. Some claim. Let's try and tease it out a little bit. Today, if we're going to abolish a law, why, why would we do that? What would lead us to want to abolish and get rid of something? We'd do so, wouldn't we, if we thought that what we were getting rid of was wrong or obsolete or unjust or unhelpful. So for an example, just think about the abolition, very famous uh, one here, the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade. We abolished slavery in that sense because it was wrong. It was abusive. It was totally unjust. We abolished it because it needed getting rid of. It should never have been there in the first place. But the Old Testament law, the prophets, they were never wrong. They were never unjust. But they were lacking in some regard. I mean, yes, they helped people. They helped people to relate to God. Yes, they reminded people uh, of, of how to behave. But the old law couldn't solve the biggest problem of them all. Sin. Ongoing sin. The old law provided no means of permanent reconciliation with the creator. But the old law did serve as a signpost. It did point to the hope of what was to come. Or rather... Who was to come? Jesus. So Jesus is saying here that there is no need to abolish what is true, what is right, what is good. But it is incomplete. And I am here now to fulfill it. The king's law is something radically new. It is not a replacement of something wrong with something right. It is what the old was always signposting to. It's an upgrade, if you like, that can never be bettered. So much so that the New Testament talks about the old law being like a shadow of the breathtaking realities that arrive with the coming of the Lord Jesus. It is something radically new. A few examples to help you get the picture. Jesus didn't abolish the idea of priests. No. He takes that idea that is in the Old Testament and he upgrades it. He becomes our great, um, our, our only, the only high priest that we need. Jesus didn't take away the temple, the place where God dwells. 
No, it's just that with the gift of the Holy Spirit, our bodies become the temple, become temples, living temples. And Jesus didn't say that sacrifice was no longer necessary. No, instead his, his whole life leads to that one perfect sacrifice that remains necessary for all who wish to be reconciled with their creator. Do you see how this, how this fulfillment is, is a change, but it's not an abolition? Jesus is making good on the prophet's claims of a future Messiah. I'm here, he says, I'm here. He is fulfilling the legal requirements of the law perfectly. He dies in our place. He takes the punishment that our sins deserve. He makes us righteous before God. And he is also, through his life and his teaching, realigning hearts and minds to the true depth, the true beauty, the true meaning of the law. Himself. Himself. The result of all this is that the law remains, but now we see it and we experience it from a radically new perspective. We put on the 3D glasses and it changes everything. I mean, imagine if all you had ever been used to was watching a small black and white television. Imagine if that, had, that was just your experience. And then I invited you round to mine and I said to you, with my new telly, although it's 10 years old now, but don't worry about that. But I said to you, you have been watching this, but now watch this. You'd see the difference, wouldn't you? It's still the same. It's still a television. It's still a TV. But you would be blown away by what you see. And that's what it's like with Jesus and the law. Only Jesus is more like um, a, a sort of a living feed, if you like. Constantly streaming, three-dimensional, super high-definition, incredible imagery right onto the retinas of our hearts. You have heard that it was said this. Oh, but I tell you this. Oh, and by the way, it's still God's law. It's still the law. The king's law is something radically new, but it is not abolishing the old. Before we move on, it's, it's really important to pause and consider the significance of this continuity. Because we have to admit that it is easy, isn't it, to get confused and to make too big a distinction between the Old and the New Testaments. It's a problem that has actually existed for centuries. Uh, in 144 AD, an early church leader called Marcion separated from the church because he couldn't reconcile the Old Testament with the New Testament. For him, the Old Testament was far too strict. And the New Testament, that was all about love and grace. And the God of the Old Testament for, for Marcion was a completely different God to the God of the New Testament. And so what he did, he actually went through his New Testament and he cut out all of the bits that, that, that he thought had no clear link or, or no clear connection with the, with, um, uh, sorry, that he did think it had clear connection with the Old. He didn't want that in that New Testament. 
Now, unsurprisingly, I'm sure you can imagine this, what he, uh, what he ended up with was a New Testament that was quite thin. <laughs> there wasn't much to it. And I hope most, uh, most of us wouldn't go that far. But I think it's fair to say that some of us don't like spending much time in the Old Testament. I've heard that in, in this church. I hear it in other churches. I've heard it in other churches in my life. Some of us may think Marcion was on to something. You know, the God of the Old Testament, he, he's a bit different to the God of the New Testament. In the Old, you see this wrathful God, this God of vengeance, executing his justice. But in the New, you see this God of love. Now, that's the God I want to concentrate on. Well, I need to remind you this morning that in the Old, you see his love as well as his justice. And in the New, you see his justice as well as his love. And that's because the two can't be separated. They are, they come together. A couple of examples will suffice. Exodus 34, the Old Testament, the Old Law. The Lord says this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Isn't that beautiful description of God? Isn't that wonderful? John 3.36, the New Testament. The very words of Jesus. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Paul in Romans talks about the wrath of God being revealed. So friends, I do know the Old Testament may feel inaccessible at times. It may be tricky to read. It may be hard to understand. But Jesus himself says that he has not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. All of the Bible relates to King Jesus in one way or another. He is the same God yesterday, today and forever as we were singing earlier. Think of it like this if you will. Maybe this illustration will help. The Old Testament has been described as the flower in bud. Have you heard that before? The New Testament is the gospel bursting into full flower and we appreciate that flowering that beauty of that flower all the more having seen it grow slowly and seen it come where it's come from and come into bloom so can i encourage you to read the whole bible with perseverance can i encourage you to learn from all of god's word See how it relates to Jesus Christ. And don't ignore the moral commands in the first part. God's moral commands for God's people in that Old Testament, such as the Ten Commandments which we were looking at in, in all age services last year, they are for us too. Nevertheless, if the King's Law is something radically new, what does it require? This is the second heading this morning. The king's law requires greater, more honest obedience. 
Look back at verse 19 um, on page 969 and take a deep breath. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. How did you feel reading that? Or hearing it? It's sobering, isn't it? should be. It's a sobering passage of scripture to read. It's worth saying here that the commentators are divided on on what Jesus means by these commands or these commandments in these few verses. Anyone who breaks the least of these commandments, uh, whoever practices these commandments. Personally, I think I'm most persuaded by the view that Jesus is not referring to the old law now, but, and to the prophets, but he is referring to the new commands of the kingdom of heaven. Why do I think that? I think that because the context is here, that as we get to these verses, the kingdom of heaven is mentioned three times around these verses. It seems that these commands are packaged in and around that phrase of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, I, um, I think it makes most sense to understand that phrase, these commandments, these commands, as referring to those that have already been given or those, that the, those who are listening are about to encounter during the Sermon on the, on the Mount. And we're going to encounter those in the coming weeks. Either way, it, 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 it's the really sobering thing is, the frankly shocking thing is, that for Jesus' first listeners, the king's law requires a greater obedience than that of the Pharisees. That's the really shocking thing. I mean, wait, that's impossible, those first listeners must have thought. Can you imagine being there? What do you mean, that's impossible? How can my behaviour exceed that of the most committed, the most morally upright, the most meticulous in observing the minutiae of the law. How can, how can I top that? Answer? The king's law requires a greater but more honest obedience. It's an obedience that knows, honestly, First and foremost, it requires an assessment, an honest assessment. And the honest assessment is this. We can't achieve it on our own. We can't. Therefore, it's an obedience that requires the perfection of someone else. We need Jesus' righteousness. We need the perfect record of his obedience to be counted as our own. We need that all-surpassing righteousness of Jesus in order to enter his kingdom. A righteousness that makes the Pharisees' legendary obedience frankly look like rubbish. And that, my friends, 
is exactly what we're given through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our imperfect obedience is exchanged for his perfect obedience. Our shame, our guilt, is exchanged for Christ's righteousness. Our sin is punished and dealt with and done by his death. And our eternal life is guaranteed by his resurrection. But here's the thing. And this is what Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. We still have a relationship with the king's law now. All of what I've just said is true, but we still have to have a relationship with the king's law now. Not to earn that righteousness. No. But to live thankfully and rightly in response to the gift of that righteousness. That gift of righteousness through faith that we have been given. So, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, especially in chapter 5, is not Jesus getting rid of the old and saying how wrong it was. No, rather it's Jesus saying, you know, put on the 3D glasses. See the new perspective my fulfillment of the law brings. And understand how the law always pointed to a greater and more honest obedience. Because it's all to do with the heart and not just our outer behaviour. Time and again in the coming weeks we are going to encounter Jesus say something like this. You have heard it said, but I tell you. Should we take a sneak peek? Take a look. Let's take a look um, and, and we'll, we'll try not to give too many spoilers away. But if you should just look down to verse 21. Verse 21 says, You have heard it said to the people long ago, do not murder. Don't murder. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother. Look at verse 27. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Verse 28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he goes on to do the same with divorce in verse 31 following. He goes on to do the same with what we say and the promises we make in verses 33 following. He goes on to talk about revenge over the page in verse 38. And then finally, verse 43, he does the same with our love and our attitude towards our enemies. I can tell you something, it's a challenging road we have ahead of us in the next few weeks as we go through this. We can't listen to Jesus here and think that there is nothing in our lives that needs changing. Well, we can, actually, but if we do that, according to him, we will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Or worse... We won't enter it at all. Not that we're not without help, friends. Don't forget that as children of the king, we've been gifted his very presence by his spirit inside us. He is the one that empowers us to follow his law. So please don't be disheartened. We're not supposed to do this on our own. He's helping us. But we do need to consider seriously what Jesus says. 
Not least because he's highlighting the dangers of looking for a lesser and easier path. But it's ultimately a more dishonest obedience, such as that of the Pharisees. So let me give us three warnings that we need to bear in mind and will be reiterated in the coming weeks. Three warnings to to bear in mind. Firstly, don't limit the application of God's word. If all I have to do to keep God's law physically is just to not kill someone, actually literally kill them, then for, quite frankly, for the most part, that's, that's easy, isn't it? Yes, I've fulfilled the commandment not to murder. I've never actually put a knife in or pulled a trigger. Tick, VG, move on. Oh, really, Jesus says? Really? What about when you stab them in your back? When you stab them in the back or you gun them down with your words? Or even in your anger, you just wish they were as good as dead. Sorry, Lord, are you serious? Totally. Don't limit the application of God's word. That's a warning that we need to bear in mind going forward. Second, don't take God's word out of context. It's easy to do. We do it all the time, actually. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was there. That, 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 that saying was there. That condition was there to ensure that appropriate justice was carried out in the public sphere for public crimes. But not for the Pharisees. They took that out of context. Why? Because they wanted to justify individual revenge. And Jesus says, put on my 3D glasses. My followers are not about revenge, but they are about mercy and generosity and kindness that should be shown. It's just one way. Well, think about more. Don't take God's word out of context. And finally, the final warning. Don't change the content of God's word. Again, this is something that the Pharisees love to do to make themselves look good. Again, we'll see examples in the coming weeks. If you want to just have a look down to verse 43. Look at verse 43. Page 970, that is. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Hmm? Really? Quick survey, two questions. Does God's law command us in the old, does it command us to love our enemy? Quick survey. Yes, it does, doesn't it? Anyone know where? Bonus point if you do. Leviticus, it's Leviticus, Leviticus 19.18. She'll love your neighbour. Second question, did the law command people to hate their enemies? No, it didn't. The Pharisees were changing the content of God's word. They wanted an easier, they wanted a, a more superficial obedience. So they changed it, they added it to it, they massaged it. And in so doing, they lowered the bar to make it easier to keep. Friends, it's the same with us today. We limit the application of God's word. We take it out of context. 
We change the content at our peril. And sadly, it's what some Pharisaic leaders in today's church seem to thrive on. So whether it's the likes of a Ravi Zacharias, a a Peter Ball, or as we've heard this uh, more recently this week, TB Joshua, leaders who limit the application of the law to other people, not myself, I'll behave very differently, thank you very much, but you know, I'm going to limit it to you. Whether it's something like that. Whether it's those who take the word out of context and preach, for example, a prosperity gospel, the likes of a Joel Osteen or a Benny Hill, a Benny Hinn. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not the promise of good health and wealth in the here and now, is it? It's not. Or whether it's those like most of our bishops in this church who are bent on changing the content of God's law to make it more accessible, to make it easier to follow, and for them to be more accepted, frankly, in today's culture. But lest we think it is just our leaders, lest we think it is just those in positions of responsibility, remember Jesus' words in verse 19. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Anyone. We do these things, limit, change, take out of context. We do them at our peril. So can I conclude by asking you this morning, what is your attitude to God's law? What is your attitude to this radically new law that requires a greater, a more honest obedience? The coming weeks should help you answer or remind you of the answer to that question. So please do keep coming. Please come with 3D glasses because you'll need them. We'll need them to avoid falling into the same trap as the Pharisees. And as we put these glasses on, I hope we're going to see four things about the king's radical new law in closing. First, I hope we will see the character of God himself. What he is like. What he loves. And what he hates. Second, I hope that we will see our sin in all its awful depravity. And weep. over how far short we all fall. The moral bar is deliberately set extremely high. But third, I hope we will see the cross with these 3D specs, and I hope we will be drawn closer and closer to it, more and more thankful for it, as we realise how far short we do fall, and that Jesus died to cover that sin. And finally, I hope we'll be encouraged, with the Spirit's help, I hope we will be encouraged to strive and obey Jesus and follow the example that he set and teach each other as we go. St. John's, if we cooperate with the Spirit and, and, and we do this, then Jesus says two things will happen. First, the world around us will sit up and take note 
We will be that salt and light that we were hearing about before Christmas. And then secondly, King Jesus will honour us when he returns. Because as he says here, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we do ask again for your forgiveness this morning. For those times that we lower your standards in order to, frankly, make them easier for us to keep. Please would you keep showing us the folly of our ways. Please would you keep revealing to us in glorious, high definition, the glory of our salvation in Jesus. And please would you make us ever more aware of the need for us to be totally honest in our obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.